jarring mix of themes old and more recent tells you that you're listening to the Power of Three podcast where three lifelong grumpy middle-aged Doctor Who fans discuss, enthuse and occasionally criticise three different adventures from TV, audio stories or novels of our favourite time-travelling hero. What have you been up to this week, gentlemen? Um, a bit of, a bit of comic book reading, a bit of comic book sorting out, going for a walk every day. Um, lots and lots of FaceTime with a few folk. Spoke to Will Brooks face-to-face for the first time, which was nice. Um, catch, just doing my best, trying not to go mental, you know. You still working from home, Kenny? Uh, no, I'm furloughed. I'm, uh, I'm, I've been spending a bit of time in the garden this week, getting it pretty much shaped up. And the only thing I can't do are cut back in the trees since uh, there's no um, garden waste uplifts at the moment, so I'll need to hold yeah. back to work. A bit more back to normal and been carrying on with lots of Big Finish stuff, including the Big Finish Big Quiz. I had a very exciting find in my study this week. I've been continuing my massive project of clearing it out. I found this big pile of old magazines, which I had assumed were old issues of Rampage. Remember that, David? The old Marvel reprint? Oh, yeah. Oh, if you find any of them, I'll take them off your hands. <laughs> well, I, there are some around. I'll have a look. Anyway... Oh, yeah. I, that's what I thought these were, so I didn't bother looking at them until this week. And I finally picked them up off the top shelf. And what they actually were, were a number of very, very old 1970s uh, issues of Starburst magazine. Um, and also, you guys won't remember this because you're, you're younglings, but when Star Wars came out in 78 or 77, but 78 in, in Scotland, they issued uh, programs in the same way that you get programs for concerts and like plays nowadays. And it was just a, they only did it for Star Wars and Close Encounters a year later. And I found the original program, Star Wars cinema program, and it's very wow. thick. I know, it's just, I haven't, I literally have not seen it since 1977. I thought I'd thrown it out by mistake <laughs> years ago. Brilliant. So that may well find its way onto eBay, who knows. Um, <laughs> Isn't it amazing what magazines you can find in the top shelf, Tom? <laughs> I have found that, I found that throughout my life, Kenny, uh, and I'm sure you have as well. <laughs> a smutty boy is a lonely boy, Kenny. <laughs> I'm just trying to make Dave's title. <laughs> hey man, I'm the loneliest boy that ever lived. Don't go to one, get after, beat it. What are we talking about in this episode, gentlemen? Somebody tell me. Well, this time, well, this week, I should say, has been uh, the the birthday week of Lord Peter Capaldi of Glasgow. Fine man. So, in celebration of our fellow city man's birthday, we're going to do three episodes with Peter Capaldi as Doctor Who. Yeah, it's the three final episodes from Peter's second series, because there was a tweet-along organised by Emily Cook on, on Tuesday night, or on Peter's birthday, of Heaven Sent. So we're doing Face the Raven, Heaven Sent and Hellbent. Before we go on to the individual episodes, what do you guys... Th- this is basically the, uh, the climax of the second season with Capaldi at the helm. 
what did you think of it in general of of the of the season climax? Do you mean at the time or now? Well, both. Let me know if your well, views changed over the years. Well, my my views have changed, and I'll, I'll talk about that as we go. But at the time, and um, I'll I'll keep this brief because this is a, this is a celebration of, of 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 Peter rather than anything else. As I've I've said many times before that I wasn't the biggest fan of of what was going on, and you know, Tom, Tom's talked a lot recently when we've we've covered some Sylvester McCoy stuff about how you know it was kind of enough to kind of drive him away for a little while. And the, I hate I do hate to say it, that the closest. I've ever come to giving up was was during the the era when when um when Peter Capaldi was was the incumbent uh, and it was very interesting watching these episodes again this week sort of divorced if you like from the feeling that I had at the time it was interesting to come to them you know four or five years later with a bit of ob- objectivity that I was that I that at the time you know I, I I didn't really have because I wasn't I wasn't enjoying what was going on I wasn't enjoying the storytelling approach I wasn't you know and all that sort of stuff. So it was it was very interesting sort of watching them again. I have a, I've got a few questions for Kenny for some plot points though, but we'll get to that. Kenny, do you think these episodes have aged well? I think they have. I enjoyed. I remember the first time around, I thought in Face the Raven, mm, Heaven Sent, brilliant, uh, Hell Bent, mm, for want of a technical word and sound for each one, but <laughs> I. I've uh, I really enjoyed watching them again. Maybe it's just the fact that um, you know it's watching the wonderful Mr. Capaldi in action again. Uh, it's uh, the absolute height of his doctoring powers or doctoral powers. Um, I really enjoyed them. The music in them is fantastic. There's just so much and so many elements in them that just that just made my heart sing and think this is why I love Doctor Who. Good. Well, in that case. We shall crack on. Rigsy! Hey, what's wrong? So I have this, uh... It kind of looks like a tattoo. There's no nice way to say you're about to die. What? I don't know who did this to you, but I do almost certainly know how to find them. So this is your life then? Bouncing around time, saving people? There have always been rumours. Mutterings about hidden streets, secret pockets of alien life right here on Earth. Peace on this street depends on one thing. To break it is to face the raven. This is what TARDISFANDOM.com says about Face the Raven. It was the 10th episode of Series 9 of Doctor Who. The episode saw the return of Rigsy from Series 8's Flatline and saw Ashilder, how do we pronounce that? Ashilder. Ashilder, make her third appearance in the series, as well as her first time meeting with Clara since the girl who died. Significantly, the climax of this episode marked the death of companion Clara Oswald. The situation that led to her demise dealt with the consequences of what happens when a companion starts thinking and acting too much like the Doctor, jeopardising herself by imitating his self-sacrificial actions. Clara had been shown to act more recklessly since the death of her boyfriend Danny Pink in the previous series. The Doctor having to face the loss of Clara would set the stage for the climax of the Series 9 arc. Upon discovering the root cause of the events that led up to her demise, the Doctor would shift into a quiet but insurmountable fury, seeking answers and justice for his companion. So, Davey, what do you think of Face the Raven? Face the Raven, now, this was one that I genuinely had not watched, I don't think, since it had first been on. So, um, my memory at the time was that I kind of, 
it kind of washed over me a little bit. I, I thought, I thought to myself, is this them just trying to do Harry Potter? At that point, I was utterly, although she's an absolute dream to watch, she's a fantastic actor. I think she's amazing in all senses. Jenna Coleman is terrific. I was like a lot, I was a bit sort of, you know, a bit tired of the, the focus on on Clara. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of, the main thing that kind of just stuck in my head was sort of thinking, you know, oh God, you know, uh, this is this is rubbish. But, you know, this time I have to say, four or five years later with a bit of kind of distance from it and just coming to it cold, I really, really enjoyed it. It felt um, much more like a traditional Doctor Who story than I remembered. The I love the idea of the trap street. I thought that was genius. I liked how they, they went about it. So, you know, all the stuff with the maps and, and walking around trying to figure out where they were going. I thought all that was excellent. Simon Paisley Day was in it, and I remember seeing him at the Globe as as um, Timon of Athens, and also in uh, Taming of the Shrew with Samantha Spiral. So that was nice to see him. And you know, I thought it was cracking. It was so different from from you know a lot of regular Doctor Who, but at the same time felt like you know proper Doctor Who. And the um, the thing that really struck me was just sort of is hubris the word that Clara was sort of demonstrating. You know, it was it was interesting just coming to it and seeing that you know that she had that arrogance. She thought she was untouchable. You know, there wasn't she had no sense of the danger that they were in. And I thought the doctors, the way he handled his reaction, Peter Carroll's reaction was was fantastic. The only thing I didn't like about it, um, and you know, people people that know me will be astonished that I'm at, that I'm, I'm heaping this much praise. But um, the thing that really struck me was how bad the girl from Game of Thrones was. I thought she was terrible. I mean, she just seemed so, yeah, she seemed so unrehearsed and so, it just seemed phoned in and I'd almost forgotten the the arc for her character because I said, I've only watched most of these episodes once. Um, So I might go back and revisit the whole series. I've been thinking about doing a Capaldi rewatch for quite a long time, but I thought she kind of, it kind of lost a bit when when it was left to her to do a lot of the talking. But it was, I mean, I love the stuff with the, you know, the, the Cybermen and the Judoon were sort of disguised and the Ood work and the Cyberman, all that sort of stuff. It was it was interesting. And I think at the time, because Harry Potter was still in the zeitgeist, as you know, and it's maybe not as much now, I wasn't aware of maybe sort of the the comparisons that I think were probably made at the time. They didn't really kind of sit in my mind as much. So I really enjoyed it. And I thought the um this though I do need a I do need a bit of an explanation from from Kenny though as to why why the doctor ended up getting transported. I was a, it kind of lost me a bit as to why he ended up being teleported to, in at the castle at the end and all that. No, I, I, I was genuinely surprised by how much I got from it. Well, Dave, I can answer your question. That's all part of what the Time Lords wanted, as we would discover at the end of the season in Hellbent. The Time Lords wanted the doctor to reveal what the hybrid was as Rassilon obviously was a nasty old fellow by that point. Um, yeah. And that's why they took the doctor inside the confession dial to try and find out what it was. Because there was, my, my memory of that series was there was quite a lot of stuff at the start about the, the confession dial. And, and my memory as well was that I was never entirely sure what was going on with it. And my memory as well was that the hybrid seemed to kind of, for all the talk of it, it seemed to kind of fizzle out a little bit at the end. But no, there was... um. So was was Game of Thrones girl? Was she was she sort of employed by the Time Lords to get him there? That's my reading of it. Yes, right. Okay, the shoulder, right. Okay. Me, Lady Me, yeah. was their middle person. Right. Okay. 
And right, and so was there a plan to just try and to trap him? And was that all incidental of whatever happened to Clara and all that sort of stuff? Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. Was, they helps. couldn't care less about the lesser <laughs> species. Right. I really enjoyed it this time around because I remember watching it first time and thinking it was pretty much an average story, and it didn't particularly grab me apart from Clara's death scene. Um, but watching it back, it's it's a really really nice character piece. Um, you, there's so much with Clara is obviously the doc, the doctor makes people better than where they start out from. Look at Rose's journey from being in inverted commas just a girl working in a shop and becoming a lot more confident and finding their inner strength. And obviously the doctor's done exactly the same with Clara. The pair of them are have got such a good relationship, lots of good banter between the pair of them in the way that almost a that university professor and student would have as which of course would happen in the next series anyway but i really really found it entertaining the fact there's so much going on the fact you've got i mean, I mean again brilliant visuals with the idea of the neck tattoo that changes i think what a fantastic idea uh, it sounds like something dynamo would probably be able to do but uh, for the rest of us mere mortals or muggles then definitely not I th again, I have to agree with Dave on the use of a shielder. I've never watched an episode of Game of Thrones in my life. Really? Oh, me neither. So, Good, that's two of us. So I didn't quite get the hype about Maisie Williams at all, and um, and I'm sure she's. I'm sure she's very, very good at what she does. In fact, she was in a Channel Four thing about a girl who was groomed, from what I recall. She was superb in that. But this one, I just didn't quite see it. But I just think Peter Capaldi is just absolutely dominant. His there's absolutely no stopping him. He's it doesn't matter what you throw at him, he just bats it back brilliantly. Um, just look at his facial reactions, particularly when he finds out what Clara's done, and there's no way back. I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's just the the fact there's a good bond between uh, Capaldi and Coleman is obviously reflected on screen. The fact that you've got this this pairing and you actually think, oh, blimey. Although the one thing that I knew for sure was that Jenna or Clara would not be dead because we'd seen the cover of the next issue of Doctor Who magazine by that point. And she was there in a waitress outfit. So I didn't think that uh, she'd just be dressing up as a waitress for no apparent reason. So the death of Clara was kind of undermined by DWM at the time. Did you remember that, Dave? Yeah, well, see, that's very interesting, actually, because that, that's the point I was going to make, was my, my feeling was when the, um, the theory, if you like, the, I was convinced that the, the Clara and the waitress uniform that was on the front of the next issue, DWM, wasn't going to be our Clara. I was convinced it was going to be another splinter. And, you know, that Clara was gone and the Doctor wouldn't see her again, but he would meet one of her splinters and, you know, had been established in the first sort of, you know, story she was in with, with Matt Smith. And I was convinced that the it would be the splinter that he would have the adventure with and but the splinter wouldn't leave with him and he would get a bit of resolution that way. So I was a bit disappointed when they actually, you know, they did the sort of taking her out of time sort of thing because you know, I was convinced that the, the, the splinter idea was a bit more interesting. <laughs> I'm always disappointed when uh, companions are either predicted to die or actually die and, and then they bring them back in exactly the same way that I was always disappointed with comic books when I was a teenager, that you know, you would always get the the forecasting of a major character's death 
and then it would happen and then a couple of issues later at the back and that always used to really irritate me and it, it, it happened yeah. quite a lot in Doctor Who and you know it happened with Rose it happens with Donna uh, and now it's happened with, with Clara and I think it's because I think the reason it annoys me is because when I was a kid I, I desperately wanted my parents to be into Doctor Who you know kids are like that you know they, they really love it when their parents are interested in something that they're obsessed by and I always felt that the death of a character, of a beloved character, was a sign of maturity, a sign of mature drama. And I used to read about these old characters like Sarah Kingdom who'd actually died. And I used to think, oh, wouldn't that be great if something, you know, I wasn't wishing death on beloved characters, but I just thought it would be a sign of maturity if that actually happened, just like it happens in adult dramas. Um, and yet time and again, Doctor Who kind of dodges that. And I find that bit frustrating. I know what you mean. I mean, look what they did with Rory for crying out loud. Yeah, that's right. I mean, how, I, mean, how I, I lost, and you know, you know, it's a character and an actor that really grew on me the longer he was there. But I mean, I lost count how many, you know, how many times Rory died. Can I? There's a, there's an obvious question for me to ask you two. Mm. Why on earth have you never watched Game of Thrones? I'm not that but, interested in swords and magic and stuff. Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm the same. Yeah, I um, and there's also an element of don't believe the hype. I had a few pals at HMV who who were big fans of it, um, and who watched it very closely. But no one I knew, no one I knew who who did watch it, and it seemed like I knew a lot of people that did. Was ever ever actually able just with a sentence to convince me that it was worth my time? Yeah. And I remember, I remember going at the staff room one day at the fort, and can't remember who it was. Anyway, somebody was watching an episode, and I was just struck by. It was very tell, don't show. The, the one character was telling another character something that um, the other character already knew, but they were doing it in such a way as to inform the audience, and it was just so yeah. badly done. And I, I just thought, oh, God, no, that's not for me. But as I say, like, no, one, no one I knew was into it. No, sorry, no one, that's rubbish, scratch that. No one I knew was able to convince me that it was ever worth my time, and I knew a lot of people that watched it. And I, I mean, did you watch it, Tom? I loved it. Well, I read all the books first, and, ah. and then I read and I read the books in succession because they were addictive. Right. And uh, and then I and I thought the first five seasons were just superb. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't advise anyone to watch beyond the fifth season, but right. But, but See, one of, stick with the books. My friend Paul at the fort, he was a he was a big fan of it. He would um because I had no idea and had no interest in following it. He would come in each you know whatever day after the previous episode had been on and, and he would enthuse away to me about everything that had been going on and I'd be like all right cool because there was all sorts of stuff that he told me that was probably enormous spoilers because I wasn't ever going to watch it I was like okay yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about it I'll listen and, and respond accordingly from what I've heard like you know any any British actor that's worth of salt has turned up in it at some point you don't know what you're missing guys anyway it's just like Lord of the Ring, the Lord of the Rings. I'm just uh, not interested in wizards and elves and stuff. Yeah, I never kind of my my whole thing about Lord of the Rings was we we started we started reading The Hobbit in first year in English at school, and as a class we we rebelled. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, we stopped doing it. So I've I've never got into them. Um, I remember really enjoying the first Lord of the Rings movie, but the second one I didn't have a clue what was going on, so I never bothered seeing the third one. And I saw the Hobbit films because Sylvester was in them, purely, you know. Dear me. I know. Have you ever? I mean, um, the closest the closest I got to that sort of stuff, that sort of genre, I suppose, is um, is is the Edgar Rice Burroughs reading I've done, and even that's a mile a mile 
know, a million miles away. But um, yeah, back to back to the girl Williams being in Doctor Who. And it does all come to that rather exciting climax where Clara's dead, bodies lying in the street, her legs twisted and distorted, and the doctor's disappeared with the teleport. But where does he go? <laughs> As you come into this world, something else is also born. You begin your life, and it begins a journey towards you. It moves slowly, but it never stops. Wherever you go, whatever path you take, it will follow. Never faster, never slower, always coming. You will run. It will walk. You will rest. It will not. One day, you will linger in the same place too long. You will sit too still or sleep too deep. And when, too late, you rise to go, you will notice a second shadow next to yours. Your life will then be over. Kenny, tell us what TARDISFANDOM.COM says about Heaven Sent. Well, Tom, it tells us that Heaven Sent was the 11th and penultimate episode of Series 9 of Doctor Who. The episode shows the Doctor dealing with and grieving over the death of Clara Oswald, whom he lost to the Quantum Shade in the previous episode. The vast majority of the episode includes just the Doctor by himself, with no other characters present, save the veiled figure that menaces him throughout. Jenna Coleman appears only as a manifestation of Clara in the Doctor's imagination. The Doctor's TARDIS is also absent from this episode, except again in the Doctor's imagination, with him being inside his own confession dial. It is also notable for showing the Doctor finally finding his way back to Gallifrey, since he found out that it was not in fact destroyed in the Time War, but instead placed in a pocket universe. This story takes place over an outstandingly long period of time, seeing the Doctor stuck in a recursive cycle, during which he repeatedly perishes and comes back to life. In the following episode, Hellbent, it is estimated that this cycle lasts for four and a half billion years, leaving it with one of the single longest uninterrupted time spans for any given adventure in Doctor Who history. And we really needed that last fact there, didn't we, boys? Oh, that's tremendous. I was enjoying that. I'm going to print that out and frame it. <laughs> what can you, yeah, what can you say about um, having sent? Uh, I remember at the time the reaction, not just of fans, but of TV critics who are, you know, general TV critics rather than Doctor Who TV critics welcoming this as the most interesting, innovative piece of drama they had seen for a very long time. And, and I mean, it's a standout episode. Even if you hate it, even if you hate the experimentation of this, it is unlike anything that we've ever seen before or since in Doctor Who. It is a remarkable piece of drama and Capaldi makes it all the more remarkable with his performance. You really feel for him as as he's, he's in pain physically and emotionally, you know, acting on your own with basically no other characters to act against is, I assume, quite a difficult task. And he just achieves it in a remarkable way. Everything about this 
is perfect, I think. I think we've probably all said this various Doctor Who classic in new episodes, but for me, Heaven Sent was the the, the cleverest idea, um, the most remarkable performances, the most brilliant scripting that I have ever seen in the show. Um, I don't want to overstate the case, but that is <laughs> that remains my view. It was my view in 2015. It's my it's my view today. I just think it is it is genius. It is genius on film it really is dave you've yeah, uh, yeah. in the past expressed some thoughts not being a, a big fan of mr moffat's work how did you find this one well this is this is an episode at the time i remember um can, trying to persuade my sister to give it a watch because like myself allison got a bit disenchanted over the previous couple of years and i i thought it, at the time i thought it was i thought it was excellent you know, a few, a few quibbles uh, that, you know, if I wanted to pick holes in some of the some of the, the plot logic and stuff, but I'm not the sort of person that does that, so I'll, I'll leave that to to the sort of people that write into Doctor Who magazine and ask questions. Um, which, you know, anyway. But, no, I, I liked it a lot, and, and it's interesting. I think with um, I think with the best Doctor Who stories, it's it's nice to play a little game and sort of think, right, how would this how would this play out with um, with any other one of the Doctors, you know, in, in place of the of the the doctor who's who's actually in it and i have i have to say i think to be honest and you'll you'll this <laughs> this will probably surprise you i don't think there's many of them who could have pulled it off as well as mr capaldi at the time i thought it was i agree with what a lot of what tom was saying there I think it was it, as such a a departure you know they'd never done the closest they'd done with the, you know a story that just the doctor being solo was maybe part three of the deadly assassin and this was but this was next level it was um it's you know it was a lot of things it was it was obviously you know, a meditation on, on love and loss and grief and all that sort of thing. So, you know, that was all done very well. But obviously the recursive sort of part of it, and as you gradually, the Doctor's dialogue gradually changed towards the end when you realise how long he's actually been doing it. He gets a bit further into the story about, about the Shepherd Boy. I joined in the other night watching it with a tweet along, um, and it was it was still remarkable. It's um, I felt kind of annoyed that it had to finish with um, just popping out on Gallifrey because there was no way that what they were going to do was probably you know successfully sort of follow it the other thing I, I should mention i think we've talked about it on here before was that i was at college very briefly with um with jamie who played the veil when i did this media studies course at, at Weedcare college in paisley we, we did a, a drama module on a friday and jamie was a, a budding actor so he was there for the drama module he wasn't there for many of the other courses but he was there on the friday and i remember him as you know he, he was from linwood which is quite near me and i remember buying some comics from him and I remember he was basically living life with the skin of his teeth. And it was really, it was really quite nice, sort of, you know, nearly 30 years later to sort of see that, um, that, he's, that he made it in a way, you know. So it's, um, it's as a, an extra sort of face on for me from that point of view. It's like, I know, that's pretty cool. It was terrific. I, I wanted to watch it again, actually, before I watched Hell Bent. So um, make of that what you will. <laughs> to me, that says it's good. Pretty much, aye. <laughs> What, what's, what's, you know, what's your thoughts on it then, Kim? I absolutely love it. I yeah. think it's, without a doubt, it's a very, very clever adult piece of writing from Stephen Moffat and um, very skillfully um, brought to life by Lord Capaldi. I think all, you know, all of, anyone who's lost a loved one, find there's, there's one particular quote that resonates with me. Um, it's one when the doctor says, it's funny, the day you lose someone isn't the worst. At least you've got something to do. It's all the days they stay dead. 
and that is you know absolutely absolutely true i mean it's this the watch along or the tweet along was the day before what had been my dad's birthday and that quote absolutely stayed with me it's it's just it's been written by somebody who's loved and lost and it's you know the fact that you're never going to see them again no matter what you do you you know you that desperation of wanting to see them once more um but i mean i think it's just an incredible episode everything about it is absolutely on the money you've got the direction from rachel talali is fantastic um capaldi is just on form the set design is great the lighting the music and i don't know if anybody see and uh, said uh, the chance to see the message from peter capaldi that emily shared and um, yes, he's talking about it and he doesn't say anything about himself in that at all. And he's just heaping praise upon everyone else throughout. Absolutely amazing, particularly um, you're praising Michael Pickwood's beautiful, artful design and Stuart Middlecombe's atmospheric photography is, is just incredible. I mean, the music from Murray Gold, it's just like, it's almost oppressive. It's almost like another character in the story. It's that big. It's just there, it's omnipresent, but not in a bad way. You just know it's there and it does add that other character and feel to it. I think it's, it's just without a doubt one of the best episodes of all time ever, fact. Compared to the way that um, they, were, they kind of touched upon death at the tail end of season eight, um, it was I think it was done much, much better in, in this story, you know, because... Some of some of the stuff in the the story that introduced Missy and had the Cybermen and all that was very very ca candid. Um, maybe it was part of a process. I'm not sure. It was a level above, and I, you know, as everyone knows, I'm not the biggest fan of what what Mr. Moffat does. But this this was a level above. This was definitely one of his his very best. And it, and it was um, I it was it was it was good to watch it again. Can either of you think of an episode since since the story since the series came back in 2005? Can any of you think of a standalone episode that is better than this one? Um, I would pro I would probably pick out a couple, but that's 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 down to my preferences. You know, I mean, I think um, the next Doctor's my favourite episode since it came back, but I think episodes like Blink are phenomenal. I don't mind to, to answer your question. There's there's episodes I would probably say that I enjoy more. But I, I would concede that it's definitely one of the best. But it kind of it it falls down, I think, just because of its because it isn't ultimately it isn't completely standalone. It has to tie into the other ones. But that's obviously not faults of its own. The one thing I, I wanted to say very quickly as well is it was obvious in some shots that it wasn't Jenna Coleman that was playing Clara, and I think that made that those moments much more effective than if it had you know been Jenna all the time. Mm. Because that that added to the sense of you know the doctor struggling to keep a hold of the memory of her and you know and all that sort of thing. I don't know, Kenny. Do you think there's any that are be, um, you do you think that's the best one? Do you think there are just, other ones? I've just been racking my brain, and I think in terms of single performances from the leading man, I think you're talking about Midnight is probably about the only one that can compare to it. Where you've got such a strong performance from the central actor, but it's so much as you think placed upon their shoulders to carry the story. I'd say Midnight is probably the next closest one to this. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. That's a good question, though. What's some more thought? Yeah. That's enough of heaven sent. And next... You're monsters. Here you are. Hiding away at the end of time. Do you even know why? Because you are hated. You... Are 
hated by everybody, but by nobody more than me. What did you say to him? I don't think I'm going to tell you or anybody else. Except maybe this one part. I said, Don't worry, Doctor. They'll all be looking at me. You need to tell us what the Doctor is going to do now. You really are thick, aren't you? The Doctor is back on Gallifrey. Took him four and a half billion years to get here. What do you think he's going to do now? Why, he's stealing a TARDIS and running away. Bye! Davey, tell us about Hellbent. Hellbent was the 12th and final episode of Series 9 of Doctor Who. It was the final regular appearance of Jenna Coleman as Clara Oswald. Although Clara met her demise in Face the Raven, the Doctor arranged for her to be extracted from time using Time Law technology. Clara would remain conscious of everything happening around her, leaving her alive, but no longer affected by physical qualities such as breathing, heartbeat, or even aging. This story depicted the Doctor reaching his limit, seeing him break his own moral codes, step away from being the Doctor and unleash his fury on the Time Lord in an attempt to save his companion's life, which came with the price of losing his memories of Clara as atonement for what he'd done. Additionally, several facts about his past before fleeing Gallifrey and prophecies of the hybrid were revealed, although who or what the hybrid remained uncertain was probably a word missing there. It featured the return of the Time Lords, who were last seen in the Day of the Doctor and had given the 11th Doctor new regenerations off-screen in the time of the Doctor. Among them was Rassilon, now in a new incarnation after his previous body was last seen being attacked by the Master in the end of time in 2010. Rassilon was banished from Gallifrey along with the High Council after losing the allegiance of his race for his cruelty to the Doctor and his role as one of the driving forces of the last great Time War. He was also deposed as Lord President with the Doctor briefly assuming it in his place. Also returning was the General who regenerated and was revealed to be a usually female Time Lady who had assumed the male incarnation, marking the first instance of an on-screen regeneration where a Time Lord had changed genders, as well as being a rare on-screen instance of a Time Lord also changing skin colour. It's not over yet. Ohelia and the sisterhood of Karn also reappeared, wherein Ohelia was hinted to have a greater personal history with the Doctor that may have gone back to his earlier days. Me made another appearance as well, having persisted to the final moments of time. She eventually ended up in possession of a TARDIS, which the Doctor stole, when she began travelling with Clara, who was not ready to return to Gallifrey and face her end. Hellbent ended up being full circle for the Doctor, where he was once again running away in his TARDIS. The story also saw the return of the Sonic Screwdriver, a brand new model to replace the model seen between the 11th hour and the Magician's Apprentice. Breathe out. <laughs> Good God. Can I go home? <laughs> Kenny, what do you think of Hellbent? For me, Hellbent really feels like three stories in one. You've got the opening section with the Doctor and Gallifrey confronting the Time Lords. You've then got the middle section with the resurrection of Clara. And then you've got the end as the Doctor and Clara are reunited with the Mind Wipe. So it's easier for me to um, break it down into those three. I think the opening stuff with the Time Lords confronting Rassilon is fantastic. You've got Capaldi, absolute defiance of authority, an absolute pure defiance of authority um, when Rassilon uh, turns up and demands the Doctor come out. Um, and he just is too busy having his lunch 
and just think that is so doctory. You sort of forget the authority, have your lunch first. Then you've got the soldiers refusing to shoot him, putting down their weapons and standing with him, which is again quite a nice parable with, um, in many ways, for society with uh, with the ruling class being out of touch what the people really want and siding with the man of the people, with the doctor being the ultimate representation of that. Again, we, we get to see some Gallifrey stuff. And then once we move on to the resurrection of Clara, it's where it really slows down. And it's why I really, really don't particularly enjoy Time Lord stuff. When you've got all the, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't break the laws of time, but the doctor is absolutely determined to save his friend, which is absolutely what any of us would do, um, no matter the consequences. In some ways, almost a bit of a retread of what we had in Big Finish Story Neverland, where the Doctor refuses to kill Charlie, even though it means unleashing anti-time upon the universe. Um, so we've got all that going on as uh, the Doctor goes in, brings Clara out, saving her between her penultimate and final heartbeats from that moment in time, and bringing her to Gallifrey. And then, of course, we have a confrontation with the General as they've mentioned, back for their first appearance since the day of the Doctor, and then the Doctor shoots him, causing him to regenerate. And even though the Doctor says it's, you know, makes a joke of it, saying it's, you know, it's like getting a cold or whatever it is that he says, I still, it still doesn't sit very easy with me, the idea of the Doctor actually shooting somebody and killing them with a staser, which is beautifully remade um, based on the Invasion of Time prop. But it's just, that just doesn't sit right with me. And then we go on to the final bit with the Doctor and Clara on the run, which is lovely with a nice, uh, a nice original TARDIS, that beautiful console room, which is just absolutely stunning. Um, and I, I think there's a note in the script that um, Stephen Moffat had written, the Doctor's running around the TARDIS console like an actor in his 50s who should know better, which I think is a lovely touch. Um, and then, of course, we get uh, the confrontation with me again, with the return of Maisie Williams. And um, she's slightly better here than she was in the last, uh, her last appearance. But still, the character feels, I don't know, inconsequential. And we never do find out, quite, quite find out what the hybrid is, do we? It's almost a bit of a, a bit of an anticlimax. And we think um, the hybrid is either a shielder or the hybrid is the Doctor and Clara put together by Misty. So we never do quite get that clarified. And then, of course, we've got the rather nice scene with uh, the Doctor losing his memory when we all expect that it's going to be Clara who's lost hers based on the scenes in the cafe at the, the start of the diner, I should say, at the start of the episode. It's just, it's a bit of a mishmash and a hodgepodge, unfortunately for me. I mean, again, Peter Capaldi, superb, Jenna Coleman, brilliant. And it just doesn't quite add up to be the finales that it should be. I think it's, it's trying to do too much. And even though it has got an hour's running time, it still feels that there's perhaps been too many plot threads introduced throughout the course of the season without actually properly resolving them. But on the plus side, I absolutely love the new Sonic that Capaldi gets at the end. So he's got his very own unique one. And I'm actually holding my version of it here. <laughs> I, pictures of it didn't That's happen. not a euphemism. <laughs> I agree with you that the shooting of the general was unnecessary, didn't make any sense. The doctor simply would not have done that. Uh, you know, wasting a whole regeneration for no particular purpose. It was a, it felt a bit, it jarred a bit, didn't it? I mean, I was a big fan of Ken Bones. He's that, you know, those, all those brilliant scenes in Day of the Doctor. So it was, it was quite sad that, you know, that he was 
he was being sort of written out as it were, but I believe he's gonna be in some of the, the Paul McGann big finish time war stuff coming up. No, it was um it's I agree pretty much with a lot of what Kenny said is you know the it felt you know, it definitely felt like you know three disparate sort of chunks that were sort of stuck together. The they were the they couldn't have been more heavy handed with the with the you know, this is the Western at the start. It reminded me of the climax to the most recent T V series in that um after a lot of build up and hints dropped at, you know, you know, with an ongoing arc that they get back to Gallifrey and there's a lot of running about and a lot of convoluted nonsense, which ultimately you know is a bit unsatisfying. I've very mixed feelings watching it. I, I, it's the one out of the three episodes that we're talking about today that I kind of struggled the most when I was watching it. I, I felt it didn't need the the, the, the running time. It, like a lot of Stephen Moffat season finale stories, it seemed to me there was a heck of a lot of yapping. You know, a heck of a lot more yapping was actually necessary. The people just people were just talking and talking and talking, and I felt the same. Going to do something. <laughs> There were some nice ideas sort of popping up here and there, and it felt, I imagine it was probably written with a lot of pressure with, you know, with maybe not as much time. So, you know, if they'd maybe had a bit more time to kind of have another go at it or whatever. I mean, I'm not a script, a script editor or a script writer, so I shouldn't really say that. But the thing that, the thing, as I said already, I was kind of disappointed at the time that Clara wasn't a, another splinter. And I felt that the, the doctor losing his memories of her was quite sad because, you know, he'd obviously known her since he'd been the Matt Doctor and, and things. So that was quite. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that. I didn't care for that, and I felt Clara flying off in a in a TARDIS with um with Geralt from Game of Thrones was just another. It was like oh, I don't know. I just felt like they were leaving it open to bring her back, which they you know they haven't done and they probably won't. But you never know these days. It was kind of as as I remember like enjoying Peter's second series more than I enjoyed his first series. But I remember one of the reasons that I probably haven't watched all these stories again is that the set the last episode left me a bit cold. What happened to the Doctor in terms of losing his memory of Clara? Very similar to what happened to Donna, losing her memories of the Doctor. That's right. It was restored. Uh, you know, unlike Donna, it was restored to him at the end of Twice Upon a Time and before he went into the TARDIS and um, lived happily every after when he decided to stay in there for a wee while. I enjoyed this episode, but I was aware as I was enjoying it that it was very much aimed at fanboys like me. You know, having uh, you know the the old-fashioned TARDIS come back at the end was just wonderful for people who are devoted fans of the show. I even at the time I did ask myself, will the general viewer be as entranced by this as the rest of us? As I said earlier on, I felt a little bit cheated that that uh, Jenna Coleman came back. I love Jenna Coleman. I I cannot understand the hatred that so much of fandom has for her and her character. I think Clara is just wonderful. I, I, I love every episode she's in. But I thought it was a good ending to her, that she was killed uh, through her own hubris and her own yeah. arrogance, if you like. I thought that would have been a yeah. good ending. It would have been sad. Let's move on. But, of course, we're not allowed to in, in, in Doctor Who. Yeah. I, I loved Rasslin's exile. I love the scenes in the Citadel. Uh, you know, I always, unlike you, Kenny, I always enjoy when the Doctor goes back to Gallifrey. But I I agree with you, it's always just a little bit disappointing. It's never as important or as fundamental as you expect a return to Gallifrey to be. And in this case, um, apart from the fanboy aspects of it, it was just a little bit disappointing after having sent. But didn't that TARDIS look glorious? It did. It really did, yeah. 
brand spanking yeah. you. It's it struck me. I mean, I mean, I quite liked the the, the Tata set that Capaldi had and you know, Matt's second one. But um, Kenny was Kenny was suggesting the other day that we could do one where we talk about our favourite title sequence themes and title sequence versions and favourite Tardis. You know, I think that'd be quite good. So I'll maybe save what I was going to say for that. But it was it was such a tease. You sort of think, why couldn't they just have that Tardis all the time? So the, yeah, Ken, the thing I was going to ask was like. And part of me was the part of this is because I, you know, I wasn't engaged enough at the time to to really. You know, what was the what was the whole series long arc? Because with the confession dial and the lady from Night of the Doctor, what was all that about? The whole season arc was obviously the hybrid. Right. I never quite understood why the lady from the sisterhood did show up. Um, that, I mean, there's that. an implication. Yeah. yeah, there's an implication at one point that the Doctor knows her of old, uh, almost as if she's been one of his. Um, teachers at the academy along with Barusa, the way that um, he responds to her at one point but maybe that's one of those things that um, Stephen planned to come back to but never did and I should point out I don't actually hate stories in Gallifrey because Gallifrey is, is um, one of my favourite big finished spin-off series um, maybe it's just its portrayal on screen where it's all men in big collars um, talking for paragraphs at each other. The thing that I liked about Claire Higgins being in it because it, you know, it had only been a couple of years since Night of the Doctor had been on TV, and the idea that this was the Doctor now in his what his twelfth body. So when you think that, you know, she was there when the eighth Doctor turned into the War Doctor, and since then there's been the ninth and the tenth and the eleventh, and then this was the twelfth was meeting her, and she was basically fundamentally didn't look any older. I I really like that because it kind of it made that character a lot richer. You know, um, this could this could turn into you know. 10 hours of praise on Night of the Doctor all over again but I won't um, it, was, it was good from that point of view I just found it like you know all the stuff under Gallifrey was, was quite interesting with the, with the Cyberman and the Dalek I'm not really quite sure what they were there but it just felt like there was lots of little ideas that, that there maybe wasn't room to develop because as we say you know everyone was just everyone was just yapping at each other but I mean I liked I've been thinking about watching it again just to take another pass at it because I'm really not sure what I thought some bits I thought were great some bits I didn't it was a bit fussy wasn't it you know, a bit unsatisfying as far as the, the explanation for the, the hybrid. I remember some people were a lot more annoyed about it than I was. I just generally took the, the sense that um, the Doctor himself was the hybrid. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Being half human on his mother's side, of course. Yeah, exactly. That sort of thing. Yeah, I thought that was maybe what was getting, what was getting alluded to. That's, I mean, that's something I'd love to see them deal with, by the way. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Not if Chibnall's getting to do with it. Yeah. Right, that's enough for this episode, guys. I'm going to wind it up now. Uh, Thank you for listening. And uh, please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your preferred provider of podcasts is. Leave a comment on our Twitter account. That's Power of Three Pod. And also you can listen to this and previous episodes at our website, powerofthreepod.com. And you can also leave a message there. If you've got a subject that you want us to perhaps explore a theme for future episodes, please let us know at the uh, using the above methods. So from me, in the middle of, still in the middle of lockdown, uh, thanks for listening. Please take care and stay safe. Yep, from me, I'll echo Tom's sentiments. Take care, everyone. Look after yourself. Be, you know, be good. Of course, it seems appropriate before we go that um, we should perhaps uh, hear from the birthday boy himself, perhaps giving us a bit of musical entertainment as we depart another exciting episode of The Power of Three. Oh God, that blooming guitar. What a good idea. Mm